Uh, before I invite Ken DeYoung to join me, I just want us to open up the Bible and go to James chapter 1. We're in this James series, and today's verses are James 1, 19 through 27. I'm going to read these, and actually we kind of covered this passage uh, a couple of months ago when we had our Foundations Sunday. If you remember all those Foundations students, and there was a point where I talked about the foundation that is laid in our life is Jesus Christ, but there's also a foundation that's laid, and that's when Jesus gives us words, so we have the Word of God. How we respond to His words determines what kind of foundation we have. In referencing there in Matthew chapter 7, as Jesus wraps up the Sermon on the Mount, he says there's a wise builder who built his house upon the rock, and there's a foolish builder, and he built his house upon the sand. And I also went to James chapter 1, and we talked about how there's a difference between just listening and hearing. And for those that truly embrace the Word of God, you not only listen, but then you respond to it. And um, so having unpacked that already... There were some things that were stirring where it just seemed right to bring in a special guest, and I'll explain to you how the Lord pieced that all together after I read this passage. So let's start in verse 19, James chapter 1. The Bible says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So step one, humbly receive it, accept it. Number two, Verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. We all gather together around God's word each week. If you just came to listen to God's word and then walk out of here and go back to your life like normal, you are deceiving yourself. That's what James says. It says, do what it says. And anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. And if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless." Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So that's our passage today, and I'm not going to continue to break this down. I'm going to allow our guest speaker to do that. And so at this time, I want to invite Ken DeYoung to please join me up here. And I'm going to explain to you a little bit of how this came together. Now, Ken is with GoServe Global, and um, we actually have a family in our congregation that is super connected with GoServe Global. 
and that would be Nate and Paula Ulrich, and they adopted their son Johnny uh, through this ministry. And they have an orphanage that's called the James 127, which we just read, the James 127 Orphanage. Now, I know our missions committee supports orphanages, and this was an opportunity that came to us, and this is another one that we have the opportunity to support. There's a lot of needs around the world. And so in this particular setting, uh, Nate had talked to me and said, is there any way that Ken might be able to come and speak with the missions committee uh, about Go Serve Global? And so uh, Ken came and uh, shared his heart, his testimony about the ministry of Go Serve Global. And uh, typically after somebody shares with our missions committee, we then begin to start praying how the Lord would want us to support this individual or this ministry or, or what have you. And it's neat. Uh, for those that are in the missions committee, you'll notice there's times when we pray specifically about that. God gives a specific number to several people and we start sharing these things and we're going, that's the number I had. And, that, and we feel like as that's happening, God's confirming uh, the support for that particular ministry. Now, as we prayed for Go Serve Global, that wasn't happening. And we're like, okay, so how are we going to support them? We feel like God wants us to support them, but what specifically does that look like? And so what we came to the conclusion of is I think there's something specific about what Ken shared, and he's going to share that with you, and we're like, I think the congregation needs to hear this. This isn't just something for the missions committee to try to discern. So let's find a time when Ken can come and share his heartbeat about how he got involved in this ministry and some of the things that are happening, and specifically the one item that our missions committee felt like we needed to hear as a congregation. And it's interesting how this all worked out because I, I get to this place, uh, I've preached on this passage just a few months ago, and so how about we just reread it and then let Ken share. So there's a difference between the listening and hearing, right? Listening and responding to God's word, and then that ends with pure and undefiled religion is supporting orphans and widows. And so I'm going to welcome Ken here to the pulpit to share about this ministry, Go Serve Global. And so Ken, the pulpit's yours. It's God's first, but he's going to use you today as you speak. Let's pray over Ken as he shares today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this connection here with Ken DeYoung and Go Serve Global and how your spirit's been at work through this ministry, through him for years, and uh, the connections here, Lord, to, to be able to have this opportunity. We just pause in the midst of our busy schedules and the things that we're doing, Lord. We're here to worship you today. And um, so I thank you that your word says that we overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And as Ken shares here today, we pray that the kingdom of darkness would be pushed back and the kingdom of light would be propelled forward, all to the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. So bless Ken's lips and bless our hearts as we endeavor to receive and respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you guys welcome Ken DeYoung. Thanks, Pastor. It is really great to be here. Uh, Russ shared some of the story of how it ended up that we were here. And uh, it's not very often I get to share this close to home. 
And uh, I think maybe that's the rest of them have it figured out and they know better. Uh, maybe not, we'll see. Uh, but it's, it's fun to be here. When you shared uh, about preaching on James 1, um, I got goosebumps. That's something that excites me for sure, is that whole passage. And don't just hear the word, do it. Listen to the word, do it. And uh, then you go on to verse 27, which is a big part of our ministry for sure. Um, Glad to have my wife with me this morning. Most of you know kind of some about us. We farm over by uh, Ware, Iowa. And uh, we have two sons, Heath and his family live in, in uh, Pocahontas. And Mark and his family live in Huxley. Heath farms with us. And because of his being part of uh, De Young Farms, it gives me more time and ability to do what I do. And uh, so I do have one question for you as a congregation. Uh, a few months ago, I was in John Deere getting parts, and Mark said, uh, hey, David Phelps is going to sing at our church. And my first thought was, well, the only David Phelps I know is this great singer, one of the most talented uh, Christian singers, in my opinion, around. And so who, what other David Phelps are you talking about? Well, no, it was the David Phelps. How in the world do you do that? How do you get those kind of people here to sing? It was a great night, and uh, so it's, uh, it's amazing out here that you can get that kind of talent. I've seen you, I see you've had others in the past as well. Do you realize today there are 26,500 kids that will die from preventable causes? 26,500, that's about 1,200 while we're worshiping together this morning. 26,500, can you imagine if there were 100 airliners that crashed today? and everyone was killed on those airplanes. That'd make headlines for now until you can just about imagine. Uh, a billion and a half people won't eat today around the world. It's just overwhelming. Uh, sometimes I think it's a bit of a crisis burnout that we hear all these things and we get used to it. And so 26,500 kids die today, 26,000 500 die tomorrow, and a billion and a half go hungry. Um, what's my part of that? My story, which is really a God story, goes back uh, to 2009, in the fall of 2009, and uh, strictly by accident, I don't believe in accidents, but Jill and I ended up at a concert in Missouri and uh, at a church we attended once in a while and there's this guy we hadn't heard of at the time by uh, the name of Jeff Gray singing and uh, promoting World Vision. And part of that was the book that Richard Stearns had just, um, just written, I believe, not too long before that, The Hole in Our Gospel. And so I bought the book, brought it home, reading the book, 
I'd been reading some of the other things that maybe go on in midlife crisis type things of what on earth are we here for? What's the purpose of my life? Outlive your life, those kinds of things. But in reading that book um, that winter, uh, those kind of statistics that Richard put in the book really stuck with me. You know, I can't. I can't do anything about 26,000 kids that are starving and going to die today. You know, I, it's just over, overwhelming. How do I, how do I get my mind about, around that? And so, things like that were going through my mind, and I really didn't know what to do with it. And uh, like much, most of us, a lot of us would just struggle with that whole concept of how do we get involved with that kind of thing before. Haiti happened before the earthquake happened. Uh, we'd supported missionaries in different ways and uh, had a heart for orphanages. But, and I really felt that as a farmer, dirt farmer in Northwest Iowa, that's where I could contribute. I'm not a, um, an evangelist, a, pe a preacher, um, a missionary, as they say. I didn't feel like that was my calling or my abilities. and. Uh, until January 10th, or January 12th, 2010, I really thought that's where we were supposed to be. I better get up to speed here with my equipment. January 12th, 2010, the earthquake happened in, in Haiti. And uh, that winter was cold. Snow, just nasty winter, and I was sitting at my desk one morning on that, that morning, drinking a, a cup of coffee, thinking I need to get out to scoop snow so the guys can, can start hauling corn. Probably have to scoop two or three times the way it had been going for the last week or so. And this came across the internet, uh, earthquake in Haiti. I thought, wow, that's not a good thing. I didn't really know a lot about Haiti. Uh, Jill and I, our families had traveled to the Bahamas, uh, not all that far from Haiti, uh, for vacations, that kind of thing. That's about what I knew about Haiti was, it's a bad place. And uh, so the news started coming in about Haiti and what had happened. It was slow because it ended up being so devastating they couldn't get news out for a while. But that's that was going on for two, two or three days. First, there, they said there might be a thousand people that died in this earthquake, and then it was 10,000 people, and then there was 50,000, and then they just didn't know. And three days after the earthquake, January 15th, I get an email from a group that I'd been in touch with just because of my interest with what they were doing in the Bahamas. And they said, we're looking for planes and pilots to fly to Haiti. And I'm thinking, it's probably a lot warmer in Haiti. And I respond to that email, I could do that. And 10 minutes later, Matt Hansen's on the phone interviewing me about, can I get out of the country? Do I have my homeland security type things? You know, all those kinds of things that become necessary. And I'm thinking, I wonder how I get out of this gracefully. You know, I'm, it was pretty easy to send that email, and yeah, I can do that. It's another thing to go. And uh, before the conversation was over, he said, I've got another plane that's going to Fort Lauderdale today, 
and we'd like to load you yet this afternoon, and we're going to Haiti. And uh, I think Jill, by then, Jill had gone to town to get groceries, and when she came home, I said, hey, I'm going to Haiti. <laughs> and she rolled her eyes like, yeah, right, you know, I've heard these things before, and, you know, just go scoop snow. And, and I, no, I'm, I'm going to Haiti, and I need to be in Lauderdale Executive before this evening, and... Uh, and uh, we're going to haul medical supplies to Haiti. And uh, it was, again, a, a bad day. The weather was awful all the way through to Georgia. You couldn't land anywhere. And I'm thinking it needs to improve before I go. And it didn't. So finally, I just went to Pokey and fueled the plane and took off for Fort Lauderdale. And we really didn't know what we were getting into. And uh, we loaded the planes that night, and uh, I remember very distinctly sitting around the table about midnight with a group that I hadn't ever met again. David Robertson was the other pilot from uh, Birmingham, from uh, Coleman, Alabama. Knew as much about this as I did. We're going to Haiti. We're going to get things done. And the pastor that was sitting there that night said, um, you know, there's probably a lot of different church backgrounds here tonight, but that doesn't really matter. We're going to serve the Lord and get some things done through taking medical supplies in. And it was kind of a refreshing uh, moment for me as we headed out. So we headed to Haiti and uh, ended up basing our, our flights out of Nass Nassau, Bahamas. And so we'd fly medical in every day. It became... Uh, First there were four planes, for, and then eventually there were 20 planes, and we were going to the small airports around Haiti. Port-au-Prince is really the only big airport, and they were crammed, being the epicenter of the earthquake, uh, they were crammed with, with uh, the big iron. They didn't have room for us and, and certainly didn't want us there. But our mission became bringing in medical for, for all these remote areas that were affected indirectly or directly by the earthquake. So that's, that's where we went, and, uh, and we flew for several weeks, and uh, I went home, and this was a life changer for me. I'd never been on a, anything like that, uh, never even been on a missions trip, a regular missions trip, let alone anything like this, but it became a life changer for me went home and shared the story with my church, our church family, um, anybody down the street that would stop long enough to listen. I was pretty pumped up. And, uh, and then the first week of March, we had planned to go to the Bahamas for, uh, for vacation, brought the kids and Jill back to uh, Nassau. We flew to Haiti, another four or five trips, I think, and March 6th was going to be la my last day in Haiti. And we'd done a good thing, and I thought it's time to get back to normal, and uh, we'll have vacation, and I'll go back to Iowa. And, uh, and they, the Bahamas Habitat, the group I was working with, had done some amazing things through the supplies that had been carried in during that time. And I made a critical error. Um, I asked Cameron King if she would, uh, if 
find somebody that could show me around Lakai, Haiti. I hadn't been out of an airport. We just in and out, in and out, and I thought this is my last trip to Haiti. And uh, could you find someone that could could uh, show me around? She said, "Yeah, I'll find somebody." And she did. And uh, I'm not sure I've got these lined up very well, but um, this Haitian man was standing at the airport. He took me around Lakai, showed me the devastation, and it was just awful. And my thought was that day, if these kids are here and still alive, you've got to get them out of here because they're going to die. I'm going to die if I stay here too long. And Eddie said, no, that's really not my goal. Uh, I want to start an orphanage. And uh, you can adopt kids out of Haiti, like Johnny, and it's tremendous for those kids. But there's a thousand kids right behind that one that need needed and you can't adopt them all out. So his heart, his mission was to bring kids into orphanages and uh, provide a good life for them, educate them in a, in a better, in a different way, share the gospel with them, of course, and integrate them back into society, into Haiti. And uh, I didn't particularly agree with Eddie that day. Uh, I didn't argue with him, but uh, Eddie was right. And so, whoops, I skipped over one, there you go. So there's that group of kids, there were 15 of them that day that Eddie took me out and introduced me to, and, and that was a critical mistake to go with him and his truck out to where he was gonna build an orphanage. Not so much looking at that, but those 15 little girls. He said, we're gonna stop and, and uh, I'll introduce you to, uh-oh, now what did I do? Oh, that one's still going. I'll introduce you to these 15 little girls and they'll kiss you and they'll sing to you, and they did. And they, uh, they broke my heart. This is a picture from uh, five years later, and Eddie's in that picture, and some of the, I think, 11 of the 15 girls that were there that day. And things were progressing uh, in the way that Eddie thought they would, in the way he envisioned his orphanage. And uh, I went back to Nassau that night, and uh, of course I was late because I had taken too, too much time and didn't have a chance to pick up the kids and go to this little outer island. It was dark, it was too late. We sat there and ate, and uh, I cho told Jill, this isn't the end, this is just the beginning. God has something for us with this crazy guy I met today. I don't know what it is, but as sure as I'm standing here this morning, I knew the Lord had something for us there. This wasn't over. It was the beginning. So we went home and we shared the story some more. And uh, uh, with our church and different ones. And, and Terry Baxter was one that we had supported for a long time. He's a skilled missionary, if you will. He's an evangelist, great speaker, and, and man of the word. And, and we'd supported him in, in an orphanage in India that he didn't been involved with for, for quite some time. And I shared that with we shared that with, with Terry. 
and the vision became, should we start something to help an orphanage in India and an orphanage in Haiti? And we prayed about it and, and talked about it some more and decided, yeah, we, uh, we want to do this. Our vision was pretty small. Even for Terry, being a visionary that he is, our vision was small compared to what the Lord had in place. So we started GoServe, and things just went crazy from there. Um, just a picture of a typical family going to church in Haiti, and I, I should back up a little bit, and pastor said uh, maybe 25 minutes, and, and, but take all the time you want. And uh, if we were in Haiti this morning, we'd be through with the first two and a half hour service and on to Center to be uh, to the second two and a half hours service. So that's kind of what I'm used to. So, you know, step back and we'll see. Um, Jill usually starts doing this after a while. But uh, this is part of Eddie's vision today at the school that's grown from 250 to 750 kids. We have uh, uh, 250 kids that we support, um, that people here support, sponsor, in our different orphanages, including James 127, uh, which is our baby project, and that's the project that, that Johnny came out of. And uh, so that, that's where Eddie has gone today. We, we build safety homes. Many of you have heard of those. They're built by Sukup Manufacturing, and it's a life transformer as well. And I need to share right here, we talk a lot about humanitarian aid, and, and I'm very much committed to humanitarian aid. Not strictly for humanitarian aid. I, I believe we're called to to uh, take care of the physical needs and, and some scriptures that uh, I'll read in a, in a minute about caring for the, the needy in James 1.27, um, pure and undefiled. Pure and undefiled is to care for the needy in the world. Just, just think about those words. Where else in scripture do you hear, do you read those words? So I believe very strongly in that, but there's always the follow-up. When you build a home like this lady in Labrise, she asks us why. Why'd you do that? And my answer is, have you got 20 minutes? I'll share why. It's because of the love of Christ, and we want to share the salvation. It's great to have a home here on earth, but it's more important that we have a home, eternal home. And so all of what we do is wrapped around caring for the poor and the needy, and providing the opportunity of, of uh, sharing the gospel, which they're so open to the gospel, it seems like, when you care for the physical needs. We dig a lot of wells. We do a lot of different things, which are life-transforming for many people in Haiti. This is Eddie's wife, June, and this was the day that we started James 127. We'd built the safety homes and the infrastructure. And this is Reuben. He's the first one. And Jill was there that week. And uh, we've had many little kids come through since then. And uh, there's a lot of kids that are abandoned. 
babies that are abandoned, and we had no way to care for babies until we, until we built James 127. And uh, they'll be abandoned at the hospital or along the street or just strictly out of desperation. Many times kids are left, and we knew what happened to those kids uh, in a culture like Haiti many times, and we just got tired of telling human services no. And uh, James 127 came out of that. ASL is a street kid ministry, and um, we take kids off the street for two or three hours during the day, feed them, give them a shower, and minister to them. Along with that is a prison ministry. Um, we were able to separate the kids out of the, the group of the, of the prison in Haiti and we feed them every day. And in a, in a country like Haiti, if you go to prison, if you don't have family to feed them, they don't eat. And these kids were mixed into uh, with the rest of the adults, and if they survived, they were ruined. And so ASL is part of that ministry. We built a, a church there by the Consolation Center. Uh, that happens to be a steel frame building provided by Sukup, dedication Sunday, and uh, pretty exciting deal to be able to share in an occasion like that in Haiti, and, and uh, it was rocking this morning, there's no doubt about that, and, and uh, the sound in Haiti, uh, the guy that runs the sound man in Haiti, I think the, the goal is to turn it up just as loud as you can before it uh, starts distorting and then give it another quarter turn <laughs> so it wasn't like today it would have been really loud and really rocking and there's Eddie and his family that day <clears throat> Matthew uh, came through us in 2016 and uh, pretty well destroyed uh, our south part of the island um, anything that didn't have a concrete roof or a safety home pretty well blew away. 125 to 155 mile an hour winds for 12 hours tends to do that. So you take the bread basket of Haiti and destroy it and the fruit trees and destroy that. It's a devastating thing. So we got there three days later and tried to make heads and tails of uh, of what to do, and it was a, a really devastating thing. But we started building homes for individual families as we could, and sitting there sharing with that family, they shared how they crawled from their home to another place that was destroyed to another place. It was destroyed to James 127, where the safety homes were, and spent the rest of the storm um, in a safety home with about 60 other of their closest friends. Um, goat projects, micro loans, just other things that we do, a birthing center up in the mountains. The need just goes on and on and on. And I could spend two hours sharing about a lot of these things. Uh, but a birthing center where you don't have any medical anywhere around and June's heart was too to uh, have a birthing center, and, and there we are, are. We've just added a surgical center to that for, for uh, those that 
that can't give birth uh, naturally for C-section and that kind of thing. But mainly what we do is right here, feed kids and take care of kids. And a picture of our son and his family and his Haitian extended family. They have three kids that they sponsor there in the Constellation Center as well, and Joshua House. And have about 250 kids there and now within the four orphanages that we support uh, through donations and sponsorships like yourselves. Matthew 6 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, but where thieves do not break in or steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. It was impossible for me to leave Haiti and just walk away from it. They had my heart, and there's been a lot of people that have been there with us that have run into the same problem, if you will. Um, I say that facetiously, facetiously, where hearts have been changed and hearts have been broken. But we get home and the American dream takes over. We look at our friends and our families, our neighbors, and, uh, and, uh, and life gets back to normal. And uh, if you Google, Google American way of life, the definition, it'll say a, one of the comments comes up, of life of personal happiness and material comforts as traditionally sought by individuals in the United States. John MacArthur puts it this, this way, mankind wants glory, we want health, we want wealth, we want happiness, we want all the felt needs met, all of our little human itches scratched, we want painless life, we want a crown without the cross, we want the gain without the pain, we want the words of Christ, of salvation to be easy. Somehow I don't think that compares with scripture. James 1, I believe it's verse 22, it says don't just listen to the word, but do it. What does that mean for me? And what does God have for me? I, I won't read through it because of time, but Matthew 5 talks about, excuse me, 25, the end of the chapter talks about separating the goats and the sheep. And while that's referring to salvation, doing these things isn't a prerequisite for salvation. It's a, it's a sign of our, our commitment to the Lord. And it talks about doing those things. And if we don't, what it means. You know, it, it, uh, if you'll bear with me, I'll go through a little bit of that. He talks about, for I was hungry and he gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and he gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and he invited me in. Naked, you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then later on it says, truly I say to you, to the extent that you've done this to the least of these, to the brothers of mine, even in the least of them, you've done it to me. And then it goes on to 
kind of repeat the same thing, but say to the extent that you haven't done these things, go away from me, I never knew you. So I guess the challenge to me, to us this morning is, are we showing our love for Christ through the things that we do? And how do I bite the peace off of the 26,000 kids that are gonna die today? Again, we can't do that. We can't save them all. I hope Pastor shared a little bit ago about how should we get involved as a church. Is there a way to get involved? Is there not? I have an idea. I have a challenge. The kids you just saw uh, there are from an orphanage that we don't fully support. Uh, we've been involved for years uh, off and on, drilled a well for them, provided solar, so forth. But a while back, we found out they were losing all their, their sponsorship, 130 kids. And um, the organization uh, that was supporting them decided they were getting out of the orphanage business. And so they had several orphanages, two of them in Haiti, uh, three or four in, in another uh, African country. And they just decided, I guess, that the kids didn't need, any, need to eat anymore. We were there on December 6th, I believe, and there was a truck pulled in with the food for them, and it was the last load of food they were gonna get. And uh, we got to run in the numbers, and we were hoping they had enough to get them through Christmas. But uh, it's been a burden on our heart ever since, and we, uh, we struggle with finding support for that many kids in one shot. And normally we bring in kids one or two at a time and we find a, a sponsor for those kids. But 130 kids uh, all at once. And uh, my challenge for you this morning is, is there any way that you might consider something like this? Um, those kids are no different than my kids. They my grandkids, they have dreams, just like everybody else, and they had parents, maybe they still have parents that just flat out have no way of supporting them. But Haitian kids are no different than American kids, and uh, I would like to challenge you this morning.
for that. I want you to stay up here for a second here. Okay. Um, so first off, I don't want anything to be done out of compulsion, okay? Uh, we're just going to simply ask that the Holy Spirit would speak to all of us and how he would want us to respond. Um, if you feel led by the Lord to get behind this orphanage that they have taken on, then I want to encourage you to speak with Ken following the service. Um, we'll also try to open up an opportunity that if you want to give even today, and just if your check is out to Faith Community Church, put go serve in the memo, and we'll get a check to them immediately to help with some of these things. Um, but as far as any connections or sponsorship, we'd encourage you to make that direct connection with Ken um, so that you can get connected with Go Serve. Um, and here's the thing. There are orphanages that some of you support personally. And um, if you're at a point where maybe something about today stirred you to say, I want to give in a greater way to this orphanage that I'm already supporting, uh, this is about the kingdom. And so I would encourage you, if that's how the Lord's leading you, go in that direction. Okay, we're just wanting to respond to the word of God today. And specifically for us here with Ken, if the Lord leads you in supporting Go Serve and this orphanage that they've absorbed, uh, please make a connection with him today. Or in the tithe and offering, just memo, Go Serve, and we'll make sure that that gets to Go Serve Global today. Okay? But I want to invite your wife, Jill, to come up here, and we're going to take a moment to pray over you guys. And also, I think it'd be neat, Nate and Paula, if you guys want to come up and join them as well, and feel free to bring Johnny with you. But we're just going to pray as a congregation, asking for a blessing upon this ministry. And I think here, with Johnny with us, representing those kids, we're going to pray for a blessing upon those kids as well. And so, just like we're laying hands on them, if you want to just extend your hand toward them as we pray together. And uh, we're just going to lift them up to the Lord. So would you please pray with me here in response to this today. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your heartbeat for humanity. And Lord, you use people, everyday, average, ordinary people. And um, you speak a, a vision and a dream. And uh, Lord, to see these things come to fruition, it's to your honor and to your glory. And um, Lord, I thank you for how your spirit is at work through Ken and Jill and the many who serve there with Go Serve Global. We pray for a great blessing upon their ministry. And Lord, that you would keep writing vision into their ministry. And Lord, as they've absorbed this orphanage, I pray that you would provide what they need to continue to serve and minister the gospel to these kids. We thank you, Lord, for Nate and Paula and their connection to this ministry and how it's made a connection for us as a congregation. All to your honor and glory. And as we pray over Johnny, we are uh, symbolically praying over each of those kids. And we pray for a blessing upon their lives, Lord, that they would know you as their Lord and Savior, that you would bless their lives, and that you would provide for their needs and stir in our hearts, Lord, how you desire for us to be involved in that. We want to listen to your spirit and help us to respond. And we thank you for this now, and we lift this all to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. <laughs> Guys, would you thank Ken for me today?